Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 844, air date December 1st, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. It is 9.26 or about 26 minutes late. Um, I wanted to um, basically take this occasion to uh, thank everyone for all your kind comments from the Arizona hearing that we just did. I had no idea how uh, big that was going to be and um, that the fact that um, that so many people uh, were interested in really understanding about election fraud and understanding the math. So I'm, I'm happy that we were able to make a lot of that accessible to everyone. So we'll wait until people are uh, coming in. I just want to let everyone know that today I'm also joined by a bunch of uh, our amazing volunteers who are part of our campaign in Massachusetts for U.S. Senate. And we're going to also talk about the direct connection between what occurred in Massachusetts here in September when our election was defrauded uh, by the Secretary of State Galvin and how there's a direct connection between what's going on at the uh, presidential level right now. So we're very pleased that you know we're uh, helping to identify this election fraud and giving a lot more of the mathematics and how this was done and really pointing at the fact of what we're going to talk about tonight is that we don't have one person, one vote in the United States anymore, particularly because of these electronic voting machines. So we're going to wait until um, others join us and I'll just sort of read out who else is coming, uh, who else is um, joining us. We have people from South Berwick, Maine, uh, who else? Arizona, good to have you. Another person from Arizona, New York City and uh, Alberta, Canada. Uh, God will prevail. Excellent. Auckland, New Zealand. People from all over the world are actually interested in this. Everyone in the world is watching what's going on in the United States. People from Massachusetts, uh, India, people from India, California. Um, where else? Uh, okay. People from right here in Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, and so we have people joining us. So we have about um, Kentucky, Iowa, San Diego, Southern California, Chicago, Michigan, uh, New Jersey, Avon, Indiana, Nevada, Minnesota, San Diego, uh, uh, Tennessee, Warwick, New York, Panama, Revere, Massachusetts, Texas, Tennessee, New Jersey, uh, Florida, uh, Warwick, New York, Bakersfield, California, Montana, Washington State, Linfield, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Shanghai, China, um, Linfield again, Sacramento. So as people are coming in, let me just introduce you to some of the guests that are joining me today. Um, we have Marie Riley. Marie, raise your hand. Marie was one of our great volunteers, is one of our great volunteers still. She's from Wareham, Massachusetts. Jeremy, Jeremy's up from Hubbardston. And then we have Jerry from Billerica, and we have Sandy from Dunstable. Crystal Ellis is flew in all the way from Nebraska to help us with our campaign, not once, but twice. We have Karina joining us from uh, Newton, Massachusetts. So um, as we're uh, being joined, let me just sort of step back and give people an idea of what I wanna talk about today. So many of you today saw me share with, with the legislators in Arizona and their hearing about the fact that in the electronic voting system in the United States, there is a feature called the weighted race feature. Um, 
Now, this feature has been known uh, for some time. People like Bev Harris, Benny Smith, uh, and others have talked about it. People who educated me, people like John Brakey and others talked, taught me about ballot images, the importance of that. But unfortunately, um, the, that those viewpoints have been in many ways hidden by the mainstream media. I guess it's fortunate because of my background in science and engineering and the fact that I was a United States Senate candidate who was defrauded. Um, when I started sharing this, uh, in some ways I had a bigger megaphone to talk about it. So that's basically uh, luck and fortune to be able to do that. But today what I want to talk about is that in the Arizona hearing, uh, we did the mathematical analysis to calculate from this very implausible situation when we did um, the iteration of many, many different possibilities, how Biden could have beat President Trump. It turned out that the only possibility we had been able to find today was if he got 130% of the Democrats' votes and President Trump got negative 30% of the Democrats' votes, which basically shows there was vote swapping taking place. Now, there's other possibilities. If we had access to data, if we could get uh, perhaps there's some group within the independent voters that we miss, and we're open to that. But that's what we have today. But more importantly, that result that I shared today, in fact, it's very similar to a result that we found in Georgia, which I filed uh, an affidavit uh, uh, that Sidney Powell and um, Lynn Wood and others are leading. We again found this uh, fractional voting or this vote swapping. But the reality is, that we need to all think about is why is there even this technology being allowed, being certified by the secretaries of state, the state election director that allows the software systems to first of all, store votes as decimals and also um, manipulate votes with a weighted race feature. So that's really the question. So I'm gonna, in the interest of um, educating all of you, I'm gonna walk you through what I believe is a landmark affidavit that I just filed, which is really to get back to the principle that this country was built on one person, or took a long time, you know, through the history of struggle, uh, the history of American suffrage, to get to be clarified in 1964 by Justice Chief, uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, the concept of one person, one vote. Before I start that, I wanna give everyone a little bit of context as, as I bring everyone on. Um, and these are just a, a small sampling of the incredible volunteers we had in Massachusetts. As many of you know, we ran an incredible campaign. I mean, a real campaign for U.S. Senate of Massachusetts in the Republican primary. And that campaign meant it was truly bottoms up. We had an amazing message, truth, freedom, and health. And we galvanized citizens all across Massachusetts to support our campaign. The singular word we kept hearing two to three weeks before the election day, which was September 1st, 2020, was the word landslide landslide, landslide. And we ran against an opponent who was nowhere to be found. Now he was the designated anointed choice of the Massachusetts GOP, which is really not having anything, to, they don't really represent opposition, opposition, they collude with the Democrats. And all they care about is sustaining their little rhino organization. So they didn't support us. They went and found a lawyer who's no one even knew about, uh, this guy didn't ca hardly campaign, had no lawn signs, no bumper stickers, and they threw him to subvert my winning the Republican primary so he would lose to another dope called Ed Markey. And so this is what they do. It's horse trading that gets done. But I just want to introduce some of the wonderful people so you 
all of you get in a very brief moment, the flavor of how dynamic this campaign was and how everyone busted their buns on this campaign. This other guy had no volunteer organization, no campaign, nothing. So I'll start with Jeremy. Jeremy, can you share a little bit about what you observed, how you got involved in the campaign, what you observed on the ground, our campaign contrasted with this other fellow? Well, I got involved uh, early on when you were just collecting signatures to get on the ballot. And let's be perfectly clear, your opponent did never got the signatures required to get on the ballot. He had to file a court case just to get some type of uh, abatement because he did, he wasn't able to get signatures because he wasn't willing to go out and do the work. We had people out there doing the work. We were out there collecting signatures in the cold and the rain. It didn't matter. We got the we got the job done. We got it done before anybody else did. And then we move right to the next phase, which was deploying signs all over the state. And that went at such a pace that we couldn't even keep up with it. I mean, we were getting, we were just printing and printing and printing. And as fast as we could get them, we were just giving them out. And we couldn't keep up. It was, it was craziness. And we had signs all over the state. And Jerry was out there and I was out there. And a few other people were out there putting up four by eight signs. And the area of the state that I live in, you couldn't drive around town without seeing a four by eight somewhere. I mean, we had them on every major route in almost every major town in the state. They were all over the place. I mean, everybody I know talked about it. It was like, what's up with Shiva? I see his signs everywhere. And everybody wanted to know who's this guy, Dr. Shiva. And it just opened the door for discussion on what we were about and what you were about and what the campaign was about. And it, it was pretty overwhelming. We had people doing standouts constantly. I mean, down in Worcester, which is a major city in Massachusetts, we had people out there almost daily, and and not just one or two people, but a good crowd of people were out there. And we had people in Lemonster all the time. We had people towards the city. I mean, it was it was just nonstop. I mean, it was great representation all over the state. And one of the things I want to let everyone know is Jeremy was one of our uh, literally. Uh, managing hundreds of volunteers across the state, you know, doing the logistics, making sure sign was got up. But as Jeremy says, this was a serious professional campaign we ran. Uh, nothing compared uh, compared to this other individual. We, we didn't even see him. So let me go over to not even no signs anywhere. No signs Still anywhere to this day. No signs. Right, Marie. Maybe you can share with us. Marie's down in the southern part of Massachusetts. Jeremy's up in the in the central, north central part of Massachusetts. Marie, why don't you share just briefly what you saw in the campaign, uh, the contrast, how you joined the campaign, just briefly let people know. Marie, you have to turn on your volume. Thank your you. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. I met Dr. Shiva after he met a friend of mine in Washington, D.C. when he was investigating, uh, apparently, uh, becoming a Senate candidate in 20, 2018. And she suggested that he contact me. And he did. And I was just amazingly impressed with our conversation, which lasted a fairly long time, um, telling me about what his ideas were for the campaign. And he was just checking off every single thing that I thought I would love to see in our senator. So obviously, I decided that I would sign on and do whatever I could for his campaign. And we worked really, really hard on the 2018 campaign. I've got to tell you, the entire state of Massachusetts 
at, at the uh, election for 2018 knew Dr. Shiva's name. I don't think there was a city or town in Massachusetts that a fair amount of people didn't know who Dr. Shiva was. And we had a relatively small group of people that started out on this campaign. We worked our butts off getting out there and just, and, and Dr. Shiva worked three times harder than any of us did. And we were, we were committed. The people in that campaign were amazingly committed because Dr. Shiva is such an amazing person and he has just amazing ideas and he is honest and truthful and a genuinely amazing guy. I mean, he's the guy that you want to, if he lived next door, you'd be over in his yard in the summertime um, helping, helping out and he would be in your yard helping you out when you had an issue. I mean, he's just an amazing guy with great ideas and great commitment. Um, this campaign this time, I got to tell you, Jeremy was amazing collecting signatures. He got more signatures than a, probably 15 people combined. He was out every single day collecting signatures. We were out in the rain and the snow and the sleet um, collecting signatures at Market Baskets and Big Y and Stop and Shop and at every supermarket we could find. And um, we we were happy to do it. And we were having a great time. And you know, one of the important things is Marie. You Marie's down in the Cape area. Marie would go out nearly every day to hold up our signs in this bridge, which connects sort of the mainland to the Cape part. And the reason right. I want to share this is that Jerry and I mean Jeremy and Marie. What you have to understand is I, I just want to give you a flavor before I go to the affidavit we filed today that this campaign was bottoms up campaign by the people for the people. People, we did probably 500 to 600 standouts between people go out in the rain. Absolutely. Whether good or bad to go tell people that we were running on the ground. And Crystal, um, Crystal is someone, and we had volunteers coming from outside of Massachusetts to support our ground campaign. Crystal, you, maybe you just wanna let people know what you did just very briefly. Um, and I'll come back to the other people. Crystal, what did you do for our campaign, Crystal? From You came all the way from Nebraska, right? To support yeah, the campaign, can, yeah. Yeah, you can hear me, right? Yeah, a little bit louder. Okay, yep, go um, ahead. so when I came in, I, I just wanted to do whatever I needed to do to help out. Um, first, uh, since you're, you were so busy and everybody's so busy to even give direction, I just went into the, the office and just tried to help wherever I could with you know, mailing out the bumper sticker requests, uh, mailing out requests that people were ordering in general, uh, whether it's signs, uh, just keeping up on orders. And then uh, when I came back the second time, obviously we were handing out the cards at that point. So spent a lot of time with the cards as well and, and doing standouts and, you know, your, your, um, your campaign trail of all the towns you went to on your bus. Um, and I went to several big events. Um, and then just being involved on just mass action that you were doing, going in and getting the data out of Boston, um, just certain things. I was there for some pivotal moments and they're probably some of the most memorable things uh, I'll probably have in my life. It was amazing. Thanks, Crystal. So I, I wanna, um, 
I'll, I'll come back to Jerry and um, Sandy and Karina. I just want to turn your attention to something that happened. So September 1st was the primary. So the the experiences that Crystal and and Marie and Jerry uh, Jeremy shared are glimpses, are small glimpses of what was going on on the ground. This was a real campaign. Again, this opponent that we ran against, not that different than Biden and Trump, was many ways nowhere to be found in his basement, not doing anything. No lawn signs, no bumper stickers, no real campaign. But he was anointed by the Rhino GOP who did not want someone like me who really represented working people like everyone on the phone call coming up. So on September 1 is when we found out that um, we had won, which was the night of the election. Up until then, people were saying landslide, landslide. And then the results come in. We find out that we win by nearly 10 points in Franklin County, around where Jeremy's around, where we won by nearly 10 points but 70 to 80% of the votes there are hand counted, which means paper ballots are hand counted, okay? Um, someone's making a little bit of noise, if you could just mute. So someone's, if you're clicking on your computer, it's coming through. So um, so we found out that in, in Franklin County that we, you know, we had won. And in every other county, it was 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60 Quite remarkable. And we knew at that point that election fraud took place on the first tweet I did on September 1st, which was an evening, I said, election fraud took place in third world Massachusetts. I'm glad we have the second amendment. So um, that was really what um, was tweeted out. And from that day forward on September 1st, all the way to where we are today, our team, uh, everyone you see on the phone call, uh, on, the, on, on, on the live here and others, we're trying to figure out what happened. And this required us to start learning how voting machines work, how to issue public requ records requests, gathering the data, doing the analytics. Remember, all of us are volunteers. We're not, and we weren't like some people right now, like the mass GOPs raising money on quote unquote election fraud. They're in fact shysters are actually using election fraud to raise money. So so t today, literally today, it was quite coincidental with following my hearing, literally moments after that, um, I had already filed a lawsuit in federal court about two weeks ago, two to three weeks ago, because we showed that the Secretary of State had interfered when I started exposing election fraud in Massachusetts that contacted Twitter to shut me down, okay? And on October 30th, a hearing was held and we discovered that the Secretary of State had colluded to keep me off Twitter because I was starting to expose the fact that they deleted ballot images. There was this weighted race feature. Today was a follow-up affidavit I filed to another lawsuit to decertify the election. And to all of you listening, if you want to go, uh, I'm gonna uh, stop this here for a second, but if you wanna go to our website, we just put this up. You can go right to vashiva.com. Um, if you go to victoralfashiva.com, if everyone can see that, we just published an article here, which is the actual lawsuit. If you scroll down, it says landmark, and I'll click here, it says landmark lawsuit filed in federal court uh, proves there is no one person, one vote in Massachusetts. And you can read the PDF and everything right here. And this loss, so this is um, the the judge, although I filed the, the lawsuit, he said, 
we want to hear your affidavit. So that's what we filed here today. And this was literally done. So it's a very important affidavit. I believe it's going to go down in history um, without, with all humility, it's probably one of the most important affidavits to really talk about the central issue of this country, whether we have one person, one vote or not. So as a part of that, I want to read with you and we'll go back to, we'll come back to Jerry and Karina because they were, so this is what, if you, if you want to get a copy of the lawsuit, you can read it. It's got a summary section in the abstract um, and uh, you can read it, but let me read you the section. Uh, it's called a preamble section um, that says one person, one vote. And it'll really give you the gist of what we're really dealing with here. It says a bedrock principle of American suffrage, one person, one vote is being destroyed by 21st century electronic voting systems, opaque and centralized and consolidated in the hands of a few. Software features in electronic voting systems enable the multiplication of an individual single vote by decimal factors, weights, either less than one or greater than one. This feature can be used to decrease or increase the count of that one vote so one person is not one vote. It is a crime that such features even exist and secretaries of state and, secret and state election directors not only certify electronic voting systems containing such features, but also actively turn off other features in order to conceal the crime by destroying not storing ballot images, the evidence that links tabulated vote counts with ballots cast, thus making it impossible to verify election results from those systems. In this affidavit, I will present scientific evidence that such features are employed by defendant Galvin. I'm suing the Secretary of State, his name is William F. Galvin, in the September 1st, 2020 Massachusetts Republican primary U.S. Senate race to steal victory from the working people of Massachusetts who wanted me, one of their own, to be their Republican candidate in the general election. My team of volunteers and I have worked painstakingly over the past nearly 90 days since September 1 at great sacrifice to our careers and families, along with many sleepless, sleepless nights to educate ourselves, as I mentioned, on how these complex voting systems operate, to file public records requests in order to ascertain evidentiary documents while overcoming bullying and abuse by state and city officials in the acquisition of those documents, and to perform the mathematical analysis to interconnect such evidence to discover that, the, that these algorithms not only were used to defile our U.S. Senate Republican primary election in Massachusetts, but also are used to manipulate elections across the United States of America. Our findings show similar patterns of manipulations in Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan. As I just shared today in Michigan several weeks ago, if you know, I did an analysis. And then recently uh, in working with Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, I filed a declaration sharing the results in Georgia, which also show this kind of vote swapping. And then the affidavit ends by saying, however, the evidence in Massachusetts, specifically from Suffolk County, has enabled the calculation of the weights used to manipulate vote counts in the Massachusetts U.S. Senate primary, uh, Republican primary. I find it ironic and somewhat embarrassing that as a scientist, technologist, the inventor of email who earned four degrees from MIT and has dedicated nearly 50 years of my life to the advancement of technology, that I must now make a rather Luddite, Luddite essentially means um, not using technology, request to this court for a hand count of the paper ballots cast in the Republican US Senate primary election. Moreover, it is my unfortunate conclusion that until these criminal software features are prohibited from all electronic voting systems, paper ballots should be used and hand counted in a transparent manner. An order from this court is now necessary to enforce 
the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on the application of the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution authored by Chief Justice Earl Warren in Reynolds versus Sims, which served to clarify, and that was in 1964, the constitutionally protected right to one person, one vote. Only such an order will clarify this right in the 21st century of electronic voting systems. So that is what, and I'll, I'll come back to this, we're gonna share with you some data, very powerful data, but um, the main point I wanted to share with you was that what we're talking about is the struggle for human suffrage, which means the right for all of us to vote, has taken many, many years. And, and I'll come back to the history of that. But in the 21st century, if you have technology which can manipulate weights, we frankly don't have democracy that took people about 200 years to fight to get those rights. Uh, I want to bring in Karina. Karina, maybe you can talk about, Karina was one of our volunteers. Uh, it took us a lot of effort because you have to call up these town halls, town clerks to get them to give you data where we had to actually do all the work because Galvin, Secretary of State Galvin, who by the way is also known, believe it or not, in Massachusetts, this is his nickname, the Prince of Darkness. Okay, seriously. Um, we were, remember, I wasn't able to get the ballot images, all the data from him. So we started painstakingly having to go to different towns and cities to see if we could get their vote counts and the, and the people actually voted there. Karina, do you want to just give a quick experience of what you went through um, at, in Newton and what you found? Sure. So I, for the primary results, I went physically into the um, elections office. I requested a participating voter list, a ballots cast report, and uh, the law, I guess Massachusetts law, um, basically demands that this is provided within 10 business days. Um, it was provided after that, which, you know, I understand a lot of times maybe they're short-staffed or what have you. But in any, in any case, when I received the data, it was a very, you know, I used to be an auditor. So, I you know, it's not that complicated anyway. I feel like anybody can do it. But it was just common sense, right? I mean, first of all, I compared the number of total voters to number of total votes cast. And there was a pretty, you know, startling difference, right? Like 1,800 votes off, basically, right? More votes than voters. So that was interesting. And it just so happened that I also noticed a couple of things that just kind of uh, led me to some questions. So I addressed them again, and um, they were very nice to provide me some additional information in Excel. So they were, I felt like they were cooperative and, you know, they were, they were nice. But what was interesting is that when I examined that data, which was basically an extract of the sort of total voter data, like they provided me with absentee vote voters or votes. Uh, they provided also a list of early voters. And when I tried to do some other common sense checks, like, you know, just picking some random people in those extracts and making sure that they were also showing up on the total voter list, I couldn't find some people. Like out of 11 people on a given ex extract, I couldn't find four people, right, in the total voter list. So I asked them some questions to follow up and, it was just silence, right? So I'm thinking to myself, do they not do those checks themselves ever, right? Do they not feel like it's important? So I have a lot of questions still kind of, you know, pending. But from what I understand, you know, I had better luck with uh, data collection than a lot of other people in Massachusetts. So it's really interesting how it's all very, it's not uniform. There's no, it's almost like there's no standard. I don't know how much training people go through. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, want to do a great job, you know, working in the elections offices, but I don't think there's really an adequate understanding of what things should look, look like, any basic checks they should be doing, you know? So it's really begging a lot of questions. 
and I'm not even like touching the actual election process and you know how things are observed and all that stuff that's being hotly discussed right now. Just the simple like just numbers, right? How complicated can it be? And apparently, more complicated than you know we can imagine. So, or not complicated, but it's just it's not really examined. Karina, I think one of the important things that you're saying is when you went into the town of Newton where you live in, yeah. you, you went to get the list of the actual people who voted, mm -hmm. and then you compared that to the ballots, there was, I think, 1,780 more votes than voters, right? Yeah, a little more, actually, I figured. Right. Yeah. Let's say 1,800, yeah. 1,800, yeah. Yeah. So, so, we, so what we had to do is because the Secretary of State was not sharing us the data that he should, we had to go do all this work. That's why we couldn't even get ready to do a recount because we didn't really know what was happening. We were sort of, in many ways, naive to this concept of what was taking place. So I want to, I'll come back to Jerry. Jerry, I want to just go back and share with people some of the other aspects of this affidavit we just filed today. The first part of the affidavit really summarizes what took place. Um, it says, Defendant William F. Galvin, he's a Secretary of State, employed the use of a computer algorithm in the 2020 Massachusetts Republican U.S. Senate race to deny voters their choice. This is quite explosive. What we're sharing here is because this is the first time in election fraud history, as we know, where people are act, where we are actually saying the weighted race feature was done by the secretary of state. Defendant Galvin's action violated the cherished principle of one person, one vote. On September 1st, 2020, I recognize that I have been defrauded of my election victory. I soon came to discover that computer algorithms existed in the electronic voting systems to manipulate election results. Having learned this on September 9th, I sought specific information that by federal law I was entitled to. Ballot images, cast vote records, log files, and list of vote records from the Secretary of State's office. This information would have made it easy to verify if such computer algorithms were used. So you got to understand, on these electronic voting machines, when you scan your ballot, it creates this thing called a ballot image. When they tabulate, all the ballot images are used to create what are called cast vote records, which actually tabulates the actual vote in that ballot images. And the list vote records puts it all together to generate the results in any precinct, okay? So by federal law, that any data generated in connection with the election should be saved and should be made accessible. Now, if he had just given me this data, I wouldn't have to even ask for a recount. We could have found out whether he was lying or not or whether a bad election took place. So I, I go on to say this information would have made it easy to verify such computer algorithms were used. Defendant Galvin made it impossible for me to obtain this data. I shared the difficulties in my efforts on Twitter, specifically the fact that Defendant Galvin had destroyed ballot images in violation of federal law. So during September 1st to September 26th, I was tweeting away September 25th, sharing with people what we were learning, what was going on that these ballot images were deleted in violation of federal law. Defendant Galvin responded by obstructing justice and engaging in racketeering to further sabotage my election prospects by inducing Twitter to ban me for 21 days. And this came out in, in, a federal, in the federal testimony that he had contacted Twitter. Twitter didn't take me down. He told Twitter to take me down along with the National Association of State Election Directors. They colluded because what I was sharing was explosive to this country that um, these state election directors are deleting ballot images. So I was banned for 21 out of 35 days prior to the general election using the false pretext that he cared about election misinformation. While running my general election write-in campaign, I was forced to issue public records requests, deploy my own software technologies to collect, 
organize data from the ground up to investigate the use of computer algorithms. This effort took nearly two months uh, longer than if defendant Galvin had produced the data, which would easily have fit. It's not like a data issue on one external hard drive at a cost of 500 bucks, and I was willing to pay for it. My independent investigation revealed more votes than voters. That's what we found out, as Karina just said. And we discovered a statistical improbability of one in 100,000 elections, a voting pattern based on Suffolk County, which is one of the biggest uh, counties data. The only explanation for this observation is the use of an algorithm that is enabled in many electronic systems called a weighted race feature. Our mathematical analysis revealed that my voters and I were reduced to two thirds of a person. Defendant Galvin deliberately destroyed data to conceal the use of, the, of a computer algorithm. No person interested in election integrity would have done so. Defendant Galvin's actions have now forced me to seek redress by requesting hand count of paper ballots in all counties. No election result that reduces citizens, which means all the people on this phone call, all of us, to two thirds persons must be allowed by any court to stand. This court has no choice but to order the decertification of the primary election results based on the discovery that my voters were reduced to two thirds of a person. This automatically entails a court must immediately order a hand count of all paper ballots in all counties. The court cannot allow a representative who is not the choice of voters to proceed to the US Senate. So that's um, really the main part of what we filed. And I'll show you some of the data shortly, but let me bring in um, Jerry. Jerry, why don't you let people know? There's some people from Texas here. Um, stop moving your camera, Jerry, because it's when you move it, it gets blurry. Uh, Jerry, uh, can you tell us a little bit? Can you come into the camera, Jerry? Your head is cut off. Yeah, there you go. Go ahead, Jerry. How's that? Is that better, Shiva? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I moved here in 2007. I, I, I wasn't too political until they shut everything down and then... Uh, you know, I went off and started watching your videos and uh, started uh, volunteering for your campaign. And, you know, we we knew we had the September 1st primary in the bag based on all the data we had. You know, O'Connor wasn't even running. And um, and then when the results came in, it, it didn't make any sense to us, you know, and until you went off and did the investigation and we went off and started collecting the data. I went to Bill Ricca, which is the town I live in, and asked him for the participating voter list, which I still haven't got. I went to Lawrence and got it from Lawrence, and it showed the same thing that Karina showed. It basically there were more voters, I mean, more votes than voters, and that was consistent across, uh, you know, all the towns that we got data for. So, uh, you know, that told us that, uh, you know, they 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 basically uh, manipulate the election through the electronic voter fraud, and uh, it. Uh, you know, that that just uh, it, it killed me. It, it, it killed my spirit because of all the hard work we did on the campaign. And now we're doing the same thing for the November 3rd election. And we're finding that they're putting all these roadblocks in. Uh, we asked for the data. They're giving us uh, paper data rather than just sending a spreadsheet so that we can do it. And it's just it's ridiculous. Every town's different. And uh, it's, it, you know, if, if people knew what goes on behind the scenes, in the election process in this state, but across the country, they would be appalled. I think they would be appalled. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. I, I think we'll, we'll come back to Sandy. Um, Sandy, uh, Jerry, like many of our volunteers, remember none of our volunteers were paid. Everyone was bottoms up, hardworking people. You're talking to people, you're professionals, uh, very adept, very skilled people who all gave their lives 
for this bottoms up campaign, which was on the principles of truth, freedom and health. Um, and what I'm going to share with you now is as people like Jerry, as people like Sandy, we started going to the towns because the secretary of uh, state was stonewalling us. And I'm going to share with you what some of the data we found. And I'll come back to uh, Sandy. So this is, uh, I, I think at a high level, I've shared this before, but just think about it this way. We found there were more voters and more votes and voters. By the way, this is in the affidavit. It's it's a great affidavit. I encourage everyone to read it. It's I believe this will go down as a classic document. But what you see here is if this is a voting system, let's say voters are P number of people walk in, okay, to vote. Let's say a thousand people walk in. Well, you should get a thousand votes. And those votes could be for person X, person Y, or they were write in, or they were blank, or sometimes it could even be uh, ballots that were not, uh, you know, let's say what's called an overvote. They voted for two people. Sometimes people accidentally do that. But V should equal P. You would think so. However, V will not equal P. Guess what? Because this 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 should just flow through. You stick a ballot in, you should get X number of votes. But what about if in that system they were not just tabulating votes, but they were calculating votes, right? They were manipulating the vote counts. Well, that's what we discovered. There is a weighted race feature in these systems. And there's fundamentally the ability to manipulate votes. And I think we talk about this, um, hold on. I think uh, in, uh, earlier on, we shared this because a lot of people did not believe that this capability even existed. And I'll, and I'll show, so show that shortly. Um, but fundamentally, what we, what we wanted to share here was that in these systems that P does not equal V. And as I shared before, maybe I can show it down here. I think we got it over here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, as early as 2002, people like Bev Harris pointed out that in the Diebold Election Systems Manual, here's the front cover of the manual, and you can go to page 126, 2-126, guess what they talk about? This thing called the weighted race feature. I'll zoom in on it. There you go. Weighted races. It's a documented feature. Weighted races are tallied by weights, assigned from the voter registration system and may be counted in central vote centers. And you can read more about this, but the bottom line is, that there is a feature in these systems to multiply uh, a candidate's votes by a weight, a decimal fraction. So getting back to this concept here, let me go back to this, sorry about this. When you go back to this um, actual uh, diagram here, if the votes can be weighted and the weights are greater than one or less than one, P won't equal V, right? Because if someone came in there's a thousand votes that came in. If you multiply it by 0.1, you're gonna only get up, end up with a hundred votes. So that's what we shared in the affidavit to the court today, that it doesn't involve one, one, you know, uh, one vote per person. And, and as Karina said, in the seven towns that we actually were able to get information back, a lot of the towns are violating the law. Um, look what we found, for example, in the town of Boston. And I think uh, I want uh, Jerry and, uh, Sandy to tell how we got this data. We filed the request to get the list. So the first column is a list of how many voters actually voted, their names. It's a list that they're supposed to provide you. This list is how many ballots that they were actually cast. Look what we found in Boston, 142,911 voters, but 147,025 votes. I mean, this should be perfect. To Karina's point, who's an auditor, this should be like, there should, there should not be even be one number off, but there's 4,114 more votes than voters. This is in the Republican primary. Similar if you go to Karina's town, 
you find 1,780 more votes than voters and so on. So this was one of our first indications something was really off. And um, let me bring up uh, 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 Sandy here. Sandy, were you with us when we went over to the uh, building there? Into the Boston? I was. Yeah. That was was a very remarkable time. Yeah, so on September 4th, we had applied and they have about 10 business days to get back to us. We said, hey, look, Boston City, tell us how many voters you got and how many votes. We're trying to piecemeal what occurred. And they weren't responding. We literally took 17, 18 of our volunteers and Sandy will tell you what happened. We walked into City Hall. So maybe you can tell what happened, Sandy, when we went into City Hall and why we were there and how we finally got the data. So yes, we we all walked in there together. There was 18 of us. Um, At first they were not going to give us any information. Dr. Shiva had um, tried many times to get the information and uh, once 18 of us went into Boston um, City Hall, um, I think they, they realized that, um, you know, we need, we need business. And um, at first they were stalling a little bit. And, um, and then about 20 minutes after, maybe 25 minutes after, when they realized we were not going to leave, that we... The people wanted that information. We deserve that information. It's our right for that information that they realized that they needed to give us that information. And um, and we got it. And um, it took the power of the people to stand together, to go together. And um, and and I think that we need to look at look at that in the future. Yeah, and I think it was quite an extraordinary thing for all of us because what what occurs is that, and I, I is that you know I've been a ground activist for many years, but for many of us, we've been told we should outsource our 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 citizenry to I don't know a celebrity or outsource it to you know some talking head on TV or outsource it to a politician. But when eighteen twenty of us went in there, the police came, and within twenty minutes, they gave us all the data that took us nearly. A month to get and that's what i think the lesson here is that we our movement was a bottoms-up movement and that's what occurred there we got the data and what did the data show well the data showed as i shared here something quite profound and and an unfortunate is that there's more votes than voters now boston is a part of suffolk county so what then you know i had to start employing my skills uh my math skills in this and what we uh, said was, let's really look at the voting pattern in Suffolk County. And this is a very, very interesting diagram I want to share with you. It's the first time you guys are seeing this, but you see this very interesting voting pattern in Suffolk County. You see what we've done here is on the x-axis, these are the number of votes, okay? So one vote, two vote, three votes, four votes. The y-axis is how many precincts, let me make it a little bit bigger, had those number of votes. This is called a histogram, okay? But simply put, we find there were nearly 26 precincts where I got one vote. And then watch, it goes down to 10 precincts where I got two votes, which is it. So this is an even, an odd number one, and it goes down to an even number two, okay? But by a ratio, you know, a greater than one to, uh, you know, uh, about two to one, right? You can see that. And then the next thing is this precinct, which has 20, 27 precincts, had three votes. And then it goes down to 10 precincts, 
which have four votes. And then it goes back up to uh, nearly 19 precincts, which have five votes and about, you know, 11 precincts, which have um, uh, six votes and so on. You notice this up, down, up, down pattern. Now, why is this important? Well, the reason this is important is, you know, uh, you know, I've studied, as some of you know, pattern recognition my entire life. Since I was a 14-year-old kid, I, I was a research fellow who used to watch sleep patterns of babies, handwriting recognition, face analysis, looking at uh, signal analysis in all different ways. It's a field called pattern recognition. And pattern recognition is a very powerful field because if you can watch certain patterns, you can see the normal behavior. And sometimes you see these very non-random patterns. And though that can be used for diagnosing something wrong, disease, or some anomaly. So when we saw this pattern here that you're seeing here, this is this is not random, okay? This pattern. So what did we do? We again we had to do this, okay? If again, if Secretary of State Galvin, the Prince of Darkness, had simply given us the data, we wouldn't have had to do all this thing at our own time and expense. But what you find here is the only way, by the way, you see this very regular pattern compared to my opponent. And what you find is if you look closely here, it's high, low, high, low, high, low. High, low, high, low, high, low, high, low. Nearly nine high, low ups and downs, okay? Very, very rare. Now, here's my opponent. You don't see that. You only see one high, low in the 22 bins, whereas mine's has this very peculiar high, low, high, low pattern, high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low, nine. So what we did was we literally used the computer and I modeled using what's called stochastic modeling, you know, using what's called a binomial distribution. What would be the probability, and I ran 100,000 different tests, right, random tests. And we found out that high, low, high, low, high, low pattern was one out of 161 elections, okay? Or I'm sorry, yeah, 161 out of 100,000, okay? Which would translate to about one in every 741 elections, okay? That you would ever see this high, low pattern. But then our pattern was even more rare than that. This pattern is even more rare because not only is it high, low, high, low, but the highs and lows are in a ratio greater than uh, uh, 1.5, right? Because you see it's high, low, it's greater than uh, 1 to 1.5. So we added that dimension and I reran the stochastic model again. And what you find here is this can only occur in one out of 100,000 elections. I don't even think we've had that many elections in the United States since 1776, okay? Maybe we've had about 5,000 U.S. Senate elections. So this pattern is so rare that, and it's so non-random, we knew something was up. And the reason we were so fortunate here is that typically when these election fraud events take place, you don't see, uh, as my friend Phil Evans says, this was really a unicorn. And he's been in, in watching this for many years. So this phenomenon said, wait a minute, we're seeing low, it's an opportunity because it's low number of vote counts, but high frequency. So what we did was we said, oh, how this could, could this occur? Because we said the only way this could occur was if a computer machine was generating this pattern, because surely this is not a natural phenomenon, okay? So when we when we we literally reverse engineered, and we and by the way, here's a Debol voting manual to all of those. There is a weighted race algorithm, it's documented. Here's a Debold manual, as we said, it's documented. So these electronic systems can do it. So we're not blowing smoke. We're not making up something. It's a documented feature. So what we did was we, we found out that one person is not one vote. In fact, we found out 
when we back calculated, uh, my race was all of my voters were considered two thirds of a person. How did we figure that out? Well, if it turns out if the D weighted counts are here, one to 22, how do you get that pattern? One, one, two, three, three, four, five, five, six, seven, seven, eight, because that's what we saw, right? Odd, even, odd, even in a ratio over greater than one and a half. Well, it's very interesting that the weight and that we didn't make this up has to be 0.666, okay? 0.666 is what the weight has to be in order to get this pattern, which matters the observed pattern. We actually saw by the, uh, the counts that were reported by the Secretary of State. So the weight we knew had to be 0.666. Similarly, we uh, applied another set of mathematical techniques to my opponent's race, and we found out his was 1.22. So let me repeat, what we discovered was that the when we applied, first we see this very odd pattern. We were very fortunate to find this in Suffolk County. When we reverse engineered it, because first of all, that pattern is so non-random, it would only occur one in 100,000 elections. We reverse engineer it. My weights, my votes were multiplied by 0.666, not 0.667, not 0.665, but 0.666, okay? You can read into it whatever you want. And my opponent's was multiplied by 1.22. So I, my votes were taken away, which means all my voters were not one whole human being, but two thirds. And my opponent's voters were elevated by 20% upward. So what we said was, what would happen if we de-weighted the election results? What would it look like if we actually took the reported election results from Galvin and we de-weighted it? Everyone following me? What would happen if we de-weighted it? And we went and did this for every, and by the way, everyone here is seeing this for the first time. So, um, except if you wanna go read the affidavit, which is up there, which was just filed, you can see 1130. Um, so what we did was we, took our analysis and we de-weighted the race, okay? So um, this is what we see. So for example, in Suffolk County, the blue line, the, blue, the, the, the solid blue and the solid uh, red lines represent what was reported by the Secretary of State. So in this case, it was reported in Suffolk County. My opponent got 57%, I got 38%. Well, what happens when we de-weight it, which is a dotted line? Well, I get 52.5% and my opponent gets 43%. I'm winning here by nearly um, nine and a half points, okay? That's what happens when you remove the waste. That's in Suffolk. Let's go down here to Norfolk County, a little bit closer, but I still win uh, nearly 49 to 48. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is in Middlesex County, where it was 57.5 to 39.8, but when you de-weight, I get 54.5, my opponent gets 43, I win by nearly 11 points here, okay? In Middlesex. If we go to Berkshire County, that was close, 48.8 to 47.0, but I still win. Win, win, win. Then we go over here, Worcester County. Now you have to understand in Worcester County, Jeremy, you may remember this, the police came out and they gave they had a whole line of people saluting us, right? We went down there, three, 400 people who showed up at a massive rally there. So there's no way I knew we didn't lose this. Now, what the, the they reported was that he got 59.8 and I got 37.6. When, when, when you de-weight, you find out that I get 52.2, he gets 45.4. Worcester County is a working class community. In Barnstable, 
it's 49, what would have been 60 to 35, it should have been 49.8 to 46.1, okay? And let's go to another county, it goes on and on, Bristol County, close there, but I still went 48.6 to 48.1. We go to Hampton County where purportedly he had won 56.3 to 40.4, and what do you see here? I went 49.7 to 45.6, and then Hampshire County, he, they had reported he had won 55.8 to 41.8 by nearly six points when the reality is that I won by six points, 51.6 to 45.9. And in Essex County, uh, here we go. You see the same thing here. They had reported 57.6 for him, 39 when the reality, when you de-weight is 54.2 for me, 42.7 nearly a nine point difference there. And then you look at Plymouth County. Um, where it, they had reported 61 for him, 35, it would have been de-weighted nearly 50 points and 47.4 and so on. Now, I wanna, so the reason I'm sharing you all of these counties first, as some of you guys know, Jeremy, you're near Franklin County, right? Up near Hubbardston? Yes. Uh, now, Franklin County, I haven't shared that data. All these other counties are predominantly electronic machines are used where the ballots go in, the images are created, and then they're tabulated using this weighted race algorithm. But you can't do that if they're hand counted. Now in Franklin County, again, in central, a little bit west central Massachusetts, predominantly a white working class community, and like all, and, and very similar to many of the, and we went across diverse communities where people loved our campaign. In that community, well, 70 to 80% of the towns are hand counted which means human beings counted. Well, guess what there? This was the only county that I, according to their reports, won. And let's look at what the data looks like for that county. This is unaltered. We didn't have to de-weight because there is no weighting because it's done by hand. So what do we find here? We find in Franklin County, this is what it is. So we, we go down here, we didn't have to do anything different. The red is me, 53%. And the blue is in 46, I, I won by nearly 10%, around 7% here. So this is a unaltered county, hand counted. So when we put all this together, you wanna look at this very carefully. This is a weighted, this table represents a weighted percentage where he got 60.8. And remember, Franklin's not here. This is what I mean, 60-40. And essentially the average here is 60-40. That's what I apparently lost by. But when you look, when we de-weight everything, look what happens. That's really not true. I went 53 to 47 by nearly six percentage points. And interesting enough, that's what Franklin County nearest, 53 to 47, very, very close. Okay? So this is what the data shows. And, um, and the implications of the de-weighted results are quite enormous, and I'll, I'll come back to that, but what we ended our affidavit saying is the enormity of the discoveries presented in my affidavit leaves any reasonable person with only the certainty that defendant William Galvin, the top election official for Massachusetts for 25 years nonstop, fully knew about the availability of powerful algorithms that can alter the wish of the voters, fully knew that, uh, the, that the availability of the original ballot images would facilitate the recognition that weighting has been applied to procure an altered result and therefore consciously, willfully, deliberately ensured that ballot images would not be available to candidates or good governance auditors in knowing violation of federal law. 
This obstruction by the keeper of the record serves only to misdirect the public regarding the nature of manipulation their votes have been subject to and to keep concealed from them that in Massachusetts, one person is not one vote and that a corrupt elite simply control the outcome elections that people pay for. This court must view adversely every single act of obstruction by defendant Galvin that keep relevant data from me, my voters and the people of Massachusetts. It is an undeniable fact that Galvin to this day still has not responded to my public records requests for other data outside of the electronic ballot images. Stonewalling me was intentional. It is a horrendous case of misdirection to claim that I could have applied in September for a recount, which is, that's what they're claiming, given that the only realistic outcome would have been Galvin simply repeating the same weighted algorithm and producing the same false result. A simple analogy would be to request a photograph from Galvin and him producing a Photoshop picture each time and claiming it to be the original, knowing that he himself has deleted the original in order to conceal the fact that he himself photoshopped the image. And, you know, when we really talk about this, what we're ending this with saying is Galvin is assured to apply, if we simply, because Galvin has deliberately ordered the deletion of the electronic ballot images, no simple recount of the reported electronic result is meaningful as shown by the extensive mathematical analysis. Galvin is assured to apply again the weight of 0.666 to my vote count and the weight of 1.22 to O'Connor's vote count and claim the outcome did not change. So that's, uh, so what we're asking for is a complete hand count in Massachusetts. And uh, this is in the affidavit again, we just filed today, which comes right at the heels of the Arizona hearing, which I just participated in earlier. Um, in closing, what I wanna do is um, talk about why this is personal to me, but I just wanna make sure we get in everyone's viewpoints here. Um, I know you guys haven't had a chance to read this. What do you guys think? And any comments before I close and then we'll take some questions. Jeremy, Karina, uh, Jerry. And I think it's great. And I think it's worth noting that we've been in this microcosm of what people are experiencing in the presidential election since September. And we've been, and mostly you have been able to uncover all this data ahead of time, which has given us a precedence to go forward in the presidential elections as well. And also to note that you've already done more than most senators have done in their careers, and you haven't even gotten elected as a senator yet. Right, right. I am so angry, so angry seeing those, those numbers. We worked so darn hard. I was out in the freezing cold, the pouring rain with an umbrella over my head, holding Shiva signs at that Bourne Bridge at least five days every week, usually seven days. And and it was heartbreaking to see that you lost 60-40 and it didn't make any sense. I had people calling me when I wasn't at the Bourne Bridge. I had people actually calling me at home saying, are you okay? You haven't been there for two days because I had family commitments. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it was incredible. It just shouldn't have happened. We, we had connected on a personal level with people we never even met that drove by us all the time. It, it, it was just, it was just incredible that, that, he, that you didn't win. And this makes it easier to deal with that we know that you did win, that absolutely positively you did win and it was stolen and I am angrier, I think, than, than the presidential election 
that Trump didn't win because of this, because I'm, I was so invested and we've been so invested. So many people have invested so much time and effort and love in this race. It's, it's, just, it's just heartbreaking for us and, and, and heartbreaking for us, for you, because you have de devoted so much time and effort and energy and um, kind of slipped a lot on taking care of your own business to, to do this. And it wasn't for yourself. You were doing it for everybody because you knew that, that so much was wrong and you have the ability to make a difference if you could be there. Yeah, thank you, Marie. Again, I just want to let those of viewers listening, Marie, in the middle of this, you know, lost her husband to uh, quote unquote COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to put that in double quotes. Yeah. To COP, he lost yeah, it he to, he CO, to conditions, many years but, of COPD. Um, he branded it as a COVID. Um, yeah. But exactly. to Marie's point, one of the things that's in this yeah. affidavit, Marie, that really brings about all the great work you and others did was it, said, it, it says in terms of sheer numbers, our campaign team, all volunteers, working people across Massachusetts and across America made nearly 500,000 phone calls, left nearly 5 million voice messages, received 25,000 pledges to vote for us on election day, did approximately 500 standouts where volunteers go to city centers and overpass and hold signs for Dr. Shiva, MIT, Pierre, Senate distributed 10,000 lawn signs and 20,000 bumper stickers, had large ads running on 10 major highway billboards, ran 30 minute and 60 minute network radio and television ads, and ran nearly 1 million ads on YouTube. Most importantly, the message of our campaign, Truth, Freedom, Health, galvanized over 3,000 volunteers in Massachusetts, as well as across the country. Hundreds of volunteers worked near full-time to advance our campaign. I traveled on my campaign bus to nearly 250 cities, attending rallies where hundreds would appear to support us. Almost all of my campaign cash contributions were $23, with a total of $1.5 million. In stark contrast to our campaign, my opponent was announced as the Massachusetts GOP's prefer preferred candidate and enjoyed endorsement and fundraising, was near invisible across the 351 towns. I was unable to come across any lawn signs, bumper stickers, standouts, or rallies by, by O'Connor through, throughout my extensive weekly campaign trips. At best, he had a few hundred Twitter followers and no ground visibility according to the FBC raised 460K. So it was a big, big difference between what we did and what this guy did, you know? There was no comparison. And that's why when President Trump says he won by a landslide, we know that we definitively won. I mean, you're on the ground, you smell it, you see it, and you know something's not right in the state of Massachusetts. Does anyone else want anything to share before I finish up with the last part of the affidavit? Crystal, Karina. I still run into people that say they voted for you. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And wrote, and wrote you in. I, I mean, everywhere I go, Jeremy, I mean, we had guys out here in, you know, the place that I live here fixing the sewer. I just randomly walked out because the water was shut off, right? I go out there, the guy's down in the ditch. He goes, I voted for you, Dr. Shiva. Yeah. And, and the other guy says, I voted for you. And three other guys came up. Everywhere we go, people voted for us. They ripped us off. And um, and the other thing they like to say is that, who was this other guy? I never heard of him before. <laughs> right. I got it a lot. wasn't even like uh, Biden in his basement. You knew he was in basement. No one even knew where this guy was, neither whether he was in his basement or not. 
That's what Right. No one knew where he came from. You had to file a lawsuit to get on the ballot. Right. You had to file a lawsuit to get on the ballot. We actually collected nearly 15,000 signatures. This guy couldn't even. In fact, he paid for a signature collection, Jeremy. It's in his FEC filings. Mm -hmm. So what's occurring in America is that you don't have to run for office anymore. You just call up your friendly secretary of state. They flip a bunch of switches and they get it done. And for me, you know, this is very, very personal. And I want to just read to you why this is personal to me um, because of my background. And, and, and this was in the beginning of the affidavit. It says, this is personal. My name is Dr. Shivaya Dure, and I'm the son of Meenakshi and Aya Dure, the grandson of Chinathai and Velayapa, poor village farmers, and the great grandson of Ganapati, an indentured servant. The principle of one person, one vote is deeply personal to my family and me. It is perhaps a singular reason why my parents on December 2nd, 1970, on my seventh birthday, left the oppressive caste system of India, a system in which one's birth demanded one's fate and one in which low caste untouchables such as us were considered less than human. Therefore, when I read the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, the Dred Scott case, the passage of the 14th Amendment in 1868, and Chief Justice Earl Warren's ruling to clarify one person, one vote in AP American history class, it was more than just a reading assignment. Those events defined America, the struggle of millions who fought and died to push forward American suffrage against incredibly reactionary forces of their time. The three-fifths compromise had deemed a slave was three-fifths, three-fifths of a human being. The unfortunate Dred Scott ruling reinforced the deplorable three-fifths compromise that institutionalized an American caste system where one human being was mathematically a fraction of another. In March 1857, the Supreme Court had issued the 7-2 decision against Dred Scott, an enslaved black man ruling that black people, quote, are not included and were not intended to be included under the word, quote unquote, citizens in the Constitution, and therefore claim none of the rights and privileges which that instrument provides for and secures to citizens of the United States. It was not until the 14th Amendment, 1868, that Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Three-Fifths Compromise was superseded and the compromise was explicitly repealed, providing a path to the clarification of one person, one vote. The historic U.S. Supreme Court ruling on the application of the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution authored by Chief Justice Earl Warren in Reynolds versus Sims in 1964 did just that. It clarified one person, one vote. Quote, in India, you would have been discriminated nine different ways, but in America, only three. However, if you work hard three times harder, you can achieve anything with my mom's rationale why we came to America. That rationale reflected the fact that, that the realization of the American dream was imperfect. The Constitution provided a flexible framework to support the movement forward for perfection of that American dream. My family's emigration from India precisely was because my parents wish their children to be raised in a country with the rule of law and the principle of transparent elections that upheld the cherished principle of one person, one vote, a country where they knew local political bosses could not and would not steal votes or subvert elections. That is a vision, this country, that I too held until September 1st, 2020. And I'm sure a lot of my volunteers, you know, and people support us on this campaign. And that is a country this court has an opportunity to return Massachusetts to and to send a signal for all America, there should never be a compromise to one person, one vote. Perhaps my spiritual tradition informed me that my role at this point in history is not mere coincidence. As a low caste untouchable from India, 
who experienced and observed the deep inequities of that caste system, was fortunate enough to receive incredible training across multiple fields of engineering and science, be a software developer for nearly 50 years, and then one who became a US Senate candidate subject to election fraud, I see it as my duty to expose what I believe is a singular issue that threatens our democracy in modern times, the weighted race feature in electronic voting systems, which enables a caste system and a return to a more ubiquitous Dred Scott, where regardless of race, every one of us can be made three-fifths of a person. My analysis reveals that my voters and I were made two-thirds of a person by a weighted race computer algorithm. This is deplorable and must be condemned by this court. Massachusetts, the cradle of the American Revolution, is where patriots rose up against a system of caste, royalty, and oppression starting in 1774. This affidavit presents this federal court in Massachusetts with a new and historic opportunity, the opportunity to issue an order to stop America's degeneration into another caste system. There you go. That's that amazing. Beautiful. Absolutely yeah, amazing. So, you know, what's that? One person, one vote. Yeah, so I find it quite historic because it, what is today? Uh, I think I'm going to be what? Am I going to be 57? I forget what age I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be 57. So it will be exactly 50 years, okay? 50 wow. years to the day that literally tonight in India was when I was getting ready to get on the plane. TWA flight to come to the United States 50 years ago tonight. Wow. You know, on December, you know, you know, and those, those in those days, they used to take like 48 out, 48 hours, two days to come here. You had to go from India to Dubai and then from Dubai to London and then from London to et cetera. Right. So I think it's, it's life is quite interesting. It's literally 50 years to the day. Uh, we are that, thankful you are here. Well, I'm yes, thankful we to you and um, yes, but I think the most important thing is I think we have a huge historic opportunity here because the one person, one vote didn't occur overnight. It took nearly 200, I think 200 years to get that, right? It was not until 1964 that, it, you know, the Equal Protection Clause. And now with these computer algorithms, we're back, we could go backward. Same with what big tech can do with us on all these social media platforms. So freedom is always, you know, a hair's breadth away from being removed. And I think that's what, you know, our campaign was all about, truth, freedom, and health. And that's, that's what Ronald Reagan so, said. Yeah. Ronald Reagan said it was one generation away. And I think he's absolutely right. Yeah. So I want to uh, thank everyone who, uh, someone said we have, we have, uh, let's see, we have, we have lived that life for 40, 400 years. Let's see what we're talking about. Freedom is over, someone's saying. Let's look at some of these comments here. Uh, I love some of the comments. Let's see. Uh, can, I, can I just say something also? Yes, go ahead, Karina. I just want to say that, you know, I think um, especially during the primary, you know, there was a lot of that sort of tension, you know, between all these, you know, Republicans who um, thought that maybe you were, you know, you were splitting the vote and all this nonsense, right? And after the the, the primary, I was just, you know, and after we started realizing that it was election fraud, I was really in awe of them, like missing the elephant in the room, right? That if anybody's splitting the vote, it's the other guy, right? Who literally participated in the election fraud, right? And and you you're really the person who they should be rooting for. But I think now that you know things are kind of coming to the light, especially post, you know, the main election, I really, really hope that this is that 
eye-opening moment for everyone in the States to finally realize that there are actually genuinely good people that sometimes run for office and that it is you that basically are losing by not doing your homework, not realizing what you what you have to basically to, you know, gain here, right? And it's not about, you know, what's trendy, it's not about, you know, sort of um, which camp you with, it's more about being true to yourself, right? And, and actually, I don't know, having principles and actually getting what you deserve, which I think in most cases, if you know, if you really lay it out, lay it all out. I mean, most people will say, "I want my kids to live in a society that actually encourages meritocracy, right? Incentivizes meritocracy. Or I want them to actually, you know, do hard work and actually, you know, get somewhere and not be cheated, right? So it's such a. I feel like we we're watching such an amazing sort of demonstration of what's actually been happening, why a lot of people are skeptical about politics, why most of us have not been involved with politics and why this is such a turning point, which I really truly think it is. I, I never thought politics could me, make me emotional, you know, or move me, <laughs> but really this, this past 10 months I've been moved more than, you know, I care to admit because I really think that you've proven time and time again that you can actually have like solid, amazing principles as a human being and still run for office and not compromise for one second and come out victorious. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with these lawsuits, but the fact that you have put so much effort into them and that you've spoken the truth at every juncture is just really heartwarming to, I mean, it's, I mean, just thank you. It really, it really makes me so happy to be part of this in any way, but also just watching this makes me really, you know, incredibly thrilled so thank you for delivering that i think it's worth mentioning too that you know just to remind people that freedom doesn't come free and that you always have to fight for it and now is the time that the fight is going on so anybody who's just standing by being a spectator and watching this unfold needs to become active and make their voice heard because this is your right to vote it's not just mine it's not just Shiva's, it's everybody's. If, if, if all our votes don't count for anything but a flick of the switch, then what does it all mean? So now's the time to fight and now's the time to do it. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Very well articulated, Jeremy. Well said. And, and uh, to all of you out there, I think um, it's, we live in, you know, sometimes, uh, the greatest things comes out when you think there's a lot of chaos or darkness taking place. It's the time that major change can occur. And I think that's where on the precipice of. So I want to thank, you know, everyone uh, all over the country, for that matter, all over the world. You know, our, um, in closing, I just want to share with everyone that what we've done is our movement, our, our Senate movement has really expanded to a much larger movement for truth, freedom and health. And we're inviting people to be part of the movement, support the movement. Uh, we're going to be laying down our own infrastructure. So the community of people who support the movement can actually uh, participate in a much more powerful way. So I want to share with people that those of you interested, you can go right to uh, uh, you can go right to this uh, Shiva for Senate. Right. We've set up educational plans and you can read about this. It's called Join the Movement. It's called BASHIVA.com slash join and it basically says welcome to the movement for truth freedom and health our movement is the only political force that will destroy the establishment 
to return power back to you, the working people. If you're wondering how you can help, the first step is to raise your own political consciousness, to understand the dynamics of systems, and to learn the proven mechanisms to liberate ourselves so we don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Weaponize yourself with the ultimate education and join our army of leaders for truth, freedom, and health. Uh, begin by watching this video. So if you watch this video, it lays out, we've actually put together an educational program every Saturdays. I spent about three hours teaching people this program. You can simply join the community, or if you want, you can sign up um, when you support the, uh, as you know, when you support any of the movement campaign we do, we all actually support you back. And this is a way that you can be part of that reciprocity. Or you can sign up for the systems workshop that's coming up, but please take advantage of the VA Shiva website. You can go log in, you can sign up. We have uh, a community that we're building as a part of this movement. So I encourage all of you guys to take advantage of that. And again, if you wanna go see the lawsuit, go to vashiva.com, scroll down, and it's right here that you can read everything. Literally our volunteers literally built this page very quickly in the last couple of hours. The lawsuit is all there. You can go read the, everything's up. And again, thank you very much. Thank you everyone, uh, Marie, Riley down in Wareham, Karina up in Newton, um, Chris Wells over in Nebraska, uh, Jerry and uh, Sandy in Billerick and Dunstable. I don't know where you guys are together right now. And Jeremy <laughs> over in Hubbardson. Okay. Dunstable. Thank you. Everyone stay on as I say goodbye. By the way, thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank bye -bye. you. Thank you. Nice meeting all of you.